is the fourth episode of Right Stuff through the Headstuff Podcast Network with me, Chris Fitzgerald, and produced by Daniel O'Connor. This episode features Paul McNamara, and Paul is a performance poet who has won all kinds of competitions and performed at a range of events and festivals, uh, getting great responses all over the place. If you're unfamiliar with performance poetry, then I recommend you just give a listen to the start of this podcast and you'll hear Paul perform Quarter Life Crisis, which is really special. And then we have a chat about what performance poetry is, um, what it is and what it isn't. And he treated us with another performance at the end, so keep listening for that. So please like, share, review, rate the podcast and uh, enjoy this. This is Paul McNamara. So guys... I just finished college, right? And I'm out in the big, bad world and I can't live on noodles and chicken rolls no more. No, I need to be a grown-up, but the world, it won't hold up. It's part of the deal. It's being mean and obscene and I don't know what to do. Man, college was supposed to prepare me for life. This ain't nothing like college. I got bills to pay with no mom and dad to pay him. I gotta go to work all day. And if I go out that night, I gotta get up for work the next day. Or else I don't get paid. I ain't got no old man standing in front of the room telling me it's all going to be okay. I only got old men at the bus stop asking me for money and they won't stop. And I'm just trying to keep my life together. Whether I do or not, nobody even cares. Man, life took a mean plot twist. And I I think I'm having a, a quarter life crisis. I bought a Nintendo 64 the other day. Because it looked like childhood. And all I could think about is I should use this money to pay for car tax. And I need to give the money I borrowed off dad for rent back. And I ain't got no time to play this because I need to get to work before I get sacked. And I, I, I just want my blankie back. And I want my mom and dad to tell me stories about how everyone lives happily ever after and the world is full of laughter and I'm wondering out like this. Because right now, I think I'm having a, a quarter life crisis. And our girls want commitment and we're more than just kissing. And it's not about the butterflies or the tummy tingling. They want seriousness. They want a ring. I cannot afford that kind of bling. I need to spend my money on more important things, like car tax and Nintendo 64s. And I need about s'mores on the campfire because our time is down to the wire and she got live time table to a T. Working, cooking, cleaning, yoga, Pilates? Pilates? I don't know how to Pilates. And she just keeps saying try this and I'm just crying because I think I'm having a quarter life crisis. Man, this grown-up stuff is tough. This real-life world is rough and you realise nobody really knows what's going on. There ain't no white line between right and between wrong and they say be strong. But you just keep on going, keep on rowing in behind the masses, bit by bit, day by day, by the way. 21st B-Day. That's when the fun stops. And the weight of the world plops down on your shoulders, no matter how many notes or folders education gives you. It may help for work, but not always for life or reality. But maybe, maybe that's just what life's supposed to be. And jumble up pile of crazy. Well, maybe that's not so bad, but it's still kind of scary. And I kind of just miss childhood and being a kid and that ignorant bliss. Because, well, right now, I think I'm having a quarter life crisis. Cool. Brilliant. That was brilliant, Paul. Thanks a million for that. Very impressive. Like, uh, just to sit here in front of you doing that and... It's, I know you've spoken before about kind of the interaction of an audience um, changing or influencing how you perform. Mm-hmm. And how was that now for you just sitting in front of a microphone and doing it? You, like for people listening, you were doing expressions. <laughs> and you, were, you were looking sad at the sad moments and your hands were moving. And, and myself and Dan sitting here were trying not to laugh at lots of times in case the mic could pick it up. But how was, how was that for you now yeah. not having an audience? 
It's weird. Was it weird? Yeah. <laughs> it's trying. It's hard trying to. I think you get used to having. You know, is it like like trying to hold back all the hand movements so I don't knock the mic over, <laughs> and um, just yeah, as you said, you still kind of get into the yeah the feeling of it, but it is different, and I think a lot of times, especially with a poem like that, you kind of feed off the audience laughter, so you kind of let certain moments build up and kind of you kind of enjoy the moment, but it's still kind of fun, I think, to perform it anyway. And yeah. I had an audience of two, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah, right. No, you like and. For people listening as well, that was all one take. There was no edit. You just were able to do it, no problem. Um, but a little bit more on that. Uh, you said about the audience interaction can influence, is it the rhythm of your performance? And how do you adapt your performance to an audience? Definitely. I think, especially if you have any kind of comedy, you know, you're obviously going to have the, you'll almost have the brackets, you know, wait for audience laughter mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. in your head when you're performing. And I suppose depending on whether you get those laughs or not, um, it'll definitely affect the rhythm. So it was in poetry, rhythm is so important that, you know, those pauses or how an audience reacts or, you know, if you get some whoops or if you get silence, it'll all kind of affect how you go along. And like I know myself, I've had pieces where they can kind of be comedy. A lot of my pieces kind of tread the lines between comedy and seriousness. So sometimes if a piece is getting a lot of laughter, you kind of play up the funny aspects, kind of how you say it. And then if an audience is kind of taking it a more serious route, you kind of cut out maybe the pauses or cut out the you don't try for laughs as much mm. sometimes is that something you had to learn like does that come with practice How, oh yeah yeah you just through a lot of failing yeah <laughs> through a lot of um i think that's the only way you get you can learn with live performance is just getting up there and um trying to gauge an audience mm. which is i suppose no matter how much practice you do is always very hard but um i think you are the more you do it the better you can kind of learn to adapt but um can you often tell that by the, the context that you're walking into to perform? Like if you're going to a festival, I know you've done some festivals, mm-hmm. or if you're doing a conference, um, do you have something in mind before you go into that? Do you think, do you have some kind of preconceptions of what the audience will be like? Yeah, you try to, and you, you always try and judge this venue. And then I often try, like, if you're in a certain venue, can you pick up on certain things? So you know, like, obviously the choice of poem you'll um, pick and how you'll perform it will kind of affect the audience mm. but I suppose I kind of came up in the competition scene which is quite difficult because you never really know what kind of audience you'll have and you also don't have any time to introduce your poem so you just have to go straight into it mm. which you know if you're doing a festival if you're doing a proper gig or a show you can kind of um, build up expectations which is a lot nicer so you can kind of because I think when you're a performer once you step in front of the audience your performance has started mm. but it can be quite hard when you immediately have to quench your poem so it's nice to kind of um have a bit of a talk around it or build it up as well. Yeah, and I guess as your uh, name gets out there more, then people will have a bit more mm. of an idea of what to expect from you and then that'll feed into each other as well. So can we, maybe before we move on a bit more into the discussion, get some definitions because I know this is something you've spoken yes, about yeah. before. So um, what is your definition of a performance poem slash poet versus, do you call it traditional poetry, written right. poetry, um, read poetry what's yeah. can you give us some terms and define them for us please because it's, it's hard because when you define something you also define what it's not yeah so is that something that you have to do or is there overlaps can you yeah and i think um yeah when i spoke about this at the conference um, the other week i think originally i had a very strict definition of performance poetry the, the idea was it was a poet performing their own work off by heart in front of an audience um, and I had so I had to be live. Um, since then, I don't think I'd be strictest definitions. Pretty much for exactly the reason you said about limiting people. 
Um, like I know I was at a gig by uh, quite a famous performance pole called Shane Kaizen in Dublin last year. And Shane had been in an accident a couple of years ago. So even though he was a you know multi-time award-winning, I think he won the World Championship in performance poetry, he can't recite his poetry off by heart anymore because um, he had um, an issue after the accident with memory. So he would be excluded from that. But then... So you know you're kind of you are worried about exclusion. Um, I think, I suppose for me, performance poetry, at its best, I think still is it's poetry performed live, usually your own poetry, um, in front of a crowd. And while it's not a necessity, I think if you can perform it off by heart, it does allow for that kind of more that stronger connection with the audience. Hmm. Something you said was as well that performance poem is something that is written with the performance in mind. Yes. Is that actually, part of the definition for you? Def, I, do you know what, actually, I think that's probably today the only thing that my definition, the, the only definite definition I would probably have now is that performance is part of the process. Mm. So I think the difference between, I suppose, a page poem or whatever you'd like to call it and a performance poem is when you write a performance poem or when you're performing a piece, a lot of the meaning is in the performance. So it's not just, if you read it, it's not the same experience. And a lot of page poems can transfer very well to performance, and a lot of performance poems can do well on page. But I think, I suppose, the difference is for a performance poem, when it's being written, you include both the words and the performance and the meaning. Yeah. So you try and kind of combine the two elements. Yeah, and so is there something is there something lost in, like, what is lost in reading a performance poem? Like there's a gap and maybe the vice versa as well. Like, yeah. you know, what do you feel one has over the other, for example? Uh, as well as said, it's almost like a lot of people always ask, you know, what's the difference, especially with performance poetry. And sometimes depending on the rhythm, people, you know, oh, it's not just rap music or it's not just rap. And I suppose the same thing with music, with lyrics. Lyrics are in the poem because the music tells half the story. So performance poetry it can't just be read because half the story is in the movement, it's in the voice, it's in the intonation, rhythm, um, how you perform it. And um, again, just I suppose with a page poem, the poet does their best to put all of that meaning into the page. And of course, you know, the audience is still going to interpret in different ways and read it in different ways. But a performance poem as well, because it's live, you get that connection with the audience and the audience can have an effect on how the performance performed. So I often kind of think as an um, in-performance poetry, the poet and the audience are almost kind of creating the piece together, where it's not to that same extent in written poetry because there is a kind of strict text there. Yeah, and I suppose it does have to start in a way as paper poem, if you want mm-hmm. to call it that, because you do have to get it down in some kind of document. Um, are you? How, do, how does that process work for you? Because you have all of these things going on in your mind that just a written poet might not have where you're, you're thinking about your rhythm, you're thinking about, oh, there's going to be a laugh there, uh, but you're still writing it, you know, so you have all of this kind of going on in your mind. Is, are you thinking about all of that, or are you just kind of flowing through a poem in the same way that a, a traditional poet might? Mm. I suppose you don't plan for laughter, you only hope for laughter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you never <Yeah>. know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I think, I suppose when, you get, when I get the idea in my head first, I usually start from... I'll think of a line or an image or maybe even a joke kind of line and it'll usually kind of stay in my head for a couple of days then and then it'll just kind of, I'll write it and usually it'll flow very quickly then when I kind of sit down to do it. Um, I do like, there are moments in it where you kind of think about or you'll say this in a certain way 
but I suppose it is kind of as you said the words kind of come initially with kind of little ideas for performance so it's almost like writing a play and then I suppose the real kind of when performance really kicks in is when I'm trying to learn it off <laughs> mm. because firstly there's no better way to know what doesn't work in a piece than hearing it out loud mm. and then while you're kind of performing it you kind of start to play with the words a little bit and you kind of start growing those maybe seeds of ideas you had for a piece of performance initially while writing it and then when you perform it you kind of evolve and it kind of changes and you kind of focus on you know maybe I can move like this maybe I can say it like this maybe I can leave this pause here and then I suppose with performance poetry I don't find when I perform a piece for the first time it's far from a finished product so what I'll usually do with a new piece I'll go around to maybe you know smaller venues or just kind of try it out and then just kind of play it off the audience and see what they can bring to it and then that kind of really shows you know oh this is actually a natural pause that I hadn't expected and then that all kind of becomes mm. part of the poem so that's right. so it's a growing and evolving growing thing for a while thing, and yeah. that's a really interesting aspect of it as well um, like so you mentioned earlier rap and I'm kind of interested in the relationship between music to this kind of performance poetry mm. because it is so rhythmical um, and an awful lot of what we might call traditional poets would have written their poems with performance in mind as well. Like even Yeats calls yeah. his words lyrics. You know, he refers to them as lyrics rather than just words and poems. So what is the relationship to to, to music, to, uh, mm-hmm. to what you do, do you think? Um, I think in general, performance poetry can have a really nice fit with music. Um, personally, I've had trouble <laughs> um, bringing music into pieces, um, largely because I suppose I love the live aspect. And I love playing off the audience. I love kind of, um, you know, taking it maybe in off script a little bit in the middle of pieces. So, you know, having a recorded piece or having a pure musician try and play along with that can sometimes be difficult. Mm. Um, I think it's a lot harder with comedy pieces because music and comedy, from my experience anyway, don't click as well. Um, I do have some more kind of less comedic pieces or less outright comedy pieces that um, I have gotten music written for that um, and that is quite an enjoyable experience another kind of collaboration another like getting to add another layer of kind of meaning and story to it um, as was in those instances the music would have come afterwards as well so mm. I suppose again it would have been a different kind of um, different kind of story yeah. Um, but yeah and as you said like with Yeats you know poetry is kind of and music have had a strong relationship over the years and I've seen it done really really well with performance poetry um, but personally I found it quite difficult yeah and we were talking earlier about the the kind of history of all of this and how poetry written poetry would have been passed down from just the oral tradition and now do you kind of see it as going back to the oral tradition again is what you're doing you know yeah. is there a relationship between those as well Definitely. like I think the reason performance poetry took off a lot in Ireland, and I think it is growing, it did grow very rapidly over the last couple of years, was very much because we had that tradition of, you know, the Shanachie and the storytellers and all of this in kind of Irish, part of Irish culture. And poetry came about originally as a verbal art form. You know, rhythm and rhyme were developed so it'd be easier to remember stories, so it'd be easier to kind of connect to people. Um, so it is very much kind of a return, I think, to, um, to the past, really. Yeah. It's an interesting return to the past, but an awful lot of your audience are not from the past. They're quite young. Yes. <laughs> right? What kind of audiences are you seeing now? And what do you, because I presume people are going to probably look at the description of this podcast and see the word poet. 
and that'll just turn them off instantly. Mm-hmm. There has been a kind of bit of snobbery maybe about poetry and it's kind of uh, preserved for academics and intellectuals and it's but it's not necessarily is it and is there do you think that there's um, a view maybe as a result of performance poetry that it doesn't all have to be things that we learnt in school mm-hmm. you know um, I would say a quote but I'm worried to say because I don't know if it's accurate but I think it was T.S. Eliot wrote that every kind of movement or development in poetry is just a return to common speech so pretty much every time you know performance poetry is just kind of going back to you know this is how people speak today or this is what the you know people are dealing with today this what worried today and I suppose it is kind of a lot more grassroots movement and um, it's a lot about getting people out experiencing poetry and a lot of different types of poetry then because if you go to a poetry slam for instance you're hearing 14 different poets and then you realize there's so many different voices going around that you do have pieces discussing nature, discussing um, those more classical ideas of poetry, but then you'll also have, you know, comedy pieces. You'll also have people talking about um, political issues that are going on literally as we speak, um, poetry that could have been written last week. Um, and I suppose it also opens up to people who use poetry kind of as a process for themselves to work through things. So it can be a very active and very helpful part of people's lives as opposed to just was trying to connect or reflect to something that was written 100 years ago which can be very difficult um but a lot of times i find as well people when they get into performance poetry they kind of start getting maybe a bit more appreciation of some of that other work as well and kind of maybe understanding it a little bit more but um definitely i think you get a lot more younger audiences at poetry and like we've done like i've done music festivals where you're kind of like you'd never think poetry would have a place here. Mm. I get it independence down in Cork with, you know, Hudson Taylor walking around in Brezzy and I'm just sitting there, you know, my poetry. Um, like I've done, I was on Ireland's Got Talent this year, which was yeah. weird, <laughs> to so say the least. But yeah, can you tell us about the competitive nature of it? Uh, you've been through a few competitions now. Yeah, um, like I very much came up in the competition kind of set um, with the All-Ireland Championships and all of that, which I didn't know existed <laughs> until I was about two months into my career. Um, competitions, I think, are very kind of pros and cons. Um, it's fantastic to get a name out there. Um, it's fantastic to, you know, be able to go to competition and see this great variety of voices and kind of, you know, it opens up to a whole different group of people. But I suppose competitions can also be a bit restrictive as well. So oftentimes if you're doing a competition, your piece has to be three minutes, exactly. Um, you can't use props. Um, oftentimes you won't be able to introduce your poem. So it's kind of you can kind of stifle creativity a little bit. But at the same time, I don't think I've ever, my most kind of creative times are when I've just seen a poetry slam and you get to see 20 different poets performing their work and, you know, ideas are just sparking everywhere. There's a lot of inspiration to be had there. But like Mm -hmm. you said, these competitions might stifle creativity. And another thing that might stifle creativity is, that has been has been criticised for stifling creativity is uh, academic environments, which is what you're in now. You're kind of yes. halfway through a PhD in language and literature, is that right? Yeah. yeah. And has that influenced you? Like, how has been in an academic setting, um, getting into the nitty gritty, I presume, of a fairly specific study over four years, how has this influenced your writing? And where do you see, is there a place for poetry in academia, academia and poetry? Yeah, I think um, it's like I wrote my master's degree a couple of years ago on performance poetry, which was a really interesting experience. And I moved on to a different subject area now. But 
I said, like, we were at um, the Poetry in Motion conference, which we ran in Mary Eye a few weeks ago, um, which was trying to combine academia and um, arts, like artistic um, artists. And the funny thing was, all of the academics went to that conference. All I could ever say was, I'm so happy to go to a conference where I can just listen to poetry and not have to listen to people talk about poetry. And then a lot of the artists were really interested about how, you know, the academic side of it actually worked. So I think there's this idea that academia and artistic work are constantly clashing or don't really have this overlap. But I think it can be it can be a good relationship as well. Mm. And I think I've learned an awful lot about how, I suppose, different parts of performance, different parts of poetry work that I think for a lot of poets come natural. But it's really interesting to kind of when you think about it and you kind of figure out, um, oh, this is why this happens. And you can kind of play with that a little bit. Mm. Um so I think for me, it's been a very beneficial relationship, kind of from both coming towards it from both academic and artistic. Okay. Um, and I'd really like to try and promote that in the future because I think, you know, academics are screaming out for new work. You know, you don't want to study Shakespeare for the mm. five billionth time. No. You know, they want to see new voices. They want to see new work. They want to see new art. And then, you know, for artists, it can be, not that you have to have your work validated, but it can be really kind of, um, I suppose, promising for people to discuss your work and to really kind of, you know, go deep into what you're trying to say and your meaning behind it as well. Yeah, yeah so people might be studying quarter-life crisis in a few years' time. You never know. Jeez, <laughs> um, the poor souls. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the future then. You've been working recently on, you were just saying, a kind of theatre slash poetry, one-man show, one-hour routine that's kind of comedy. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us about that? How is yes, that going? Um, I sound like one trick pony now, but it's also called Quarter Life Crisis. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was a piece I um, created for the Limerick Fringe Festival. So we did a three night run of it in Limerick last month in April and really just positive. Um, I suppose the show was about my experiences going through um, the competition circuit and striving to win the All-Ireland Poetry Slam. Um, still striving. <laughs> and... I was with the competitions as well. I'd done so many competitions and I kind of um, wanted to move away from them a little bit so I could have a bit more freedom to do poems that are longer than three minutes and to maybe, you know, play with the audience a little bit more. So that show, you know, I had an hour to do what I wanted. And I got to kind of tell stories, you know, tell jokes, set up kind of poetry, my poems in a way they hadn't been before and kind of link them up together as well. Because oftentimes... I suppose I try and challenge the same issue. A lot of my poetry at the moment has been about, you know, being in your mid-twenties and trying to figure out what the hell to do with your life. Um, so when you have that kind of connection, it's nice to try and bring it together. And, yeah, so it's a comedy slash poetry slash theatre show where I perform a lot of pieces, but there's a very strong narrative running through it and kind of a, I suppose, it's me, but it's an exaggerated version of me. So it is kind of playing a character at the same time. And um, it went really well. Um, Limerick Fringe got good audiences every night and just got to laugh for an hour just enjoy it as a group and so hopefully applying to a few different places um at the moment if anyone would like me to bring the show anybody your listeners to um perform it anywhere please contact me um i'd be very open to anything <laughs> okay brilliant um okay so paul i'm kind of just going to throw this on you now i haven't planned this but would you mind, because we've been speaking about it so much, would you mind doing another performance for us before we finish? Yeah. Is that sure, cool? No problem. Yeah, so if you take it away. Um, yeah, I did one piece actually on RT Radio 1 a few weeks ago for um, to promote the conference. So I might try that one. Okay. 
Yeah, perfect. Sweat drips down your skin. You know you can't win. Heart beating out your chest. The worst has not come yet as the time draws near and you realise your worst fear that it... It's here. It's time to meet the parents. Yeah, you know that feeling too. It's a scary rite of passage every couple must go through when the girl meets the mother who will love him more than she ever will and the guy meets the dad who, let's be honest, he kind of wants to kill. So you better be the perfect person for their baby. Three degrees, a great job, all your hair, no maybes. Catholic, but not too Catholic, you see. And a manager position and a six-figure salary at 23. But you see, I thought all of this would actually be okay for me. Because when I was young, there was nothing more I wanted to be than a doctor. Yeah, a doctor. You see, I wanted to break down and build to create and help fulfill dreams. To study the great mysteries of the human body, like what happens when we hear Shakespeare, or what goes through someone's head when they try and figure out anything James Joyce ever said. You see, I wanted nothing more than to be a distinguished doctor of English. Now, you could see her parents' hearts rise when I said doctor and fall just a little when I said English. But hey, the study of literature is important too, like you got drama and prose and poetry and actually, actually, I keep having this reoccurring dream, right? Where I'm out for a bite to eat and a man begins choking too many bread rolls between his cheeks and someone screams, we need a doctor! And I scream, I'm a doctor, everything will be alright. I run over, I grab his hand and I say, do not go gently into that good night. Old age should rave and burn at close of day and everyone was of course okay. Now, personally, my meeting with her parents went well and eventually I could tell that they accepted the prestige of my English degrees when I told them honestly, seriously, that there's big money and steady career options in reading and writing poetry. Oh God, I hope they didn't take me too seriously. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. Brilliant. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.